Welcome to this Market Commentator podcast. My name is Rijk van Niekerk and this is my weekly podcast where I speak to leading investment professionals. My guest today is Patrice Rousseau, he's the Chief Investment Officer of Ashburton Investments. He has been in the industry for more than two decades. But Patrice, you joined Ashburton on 1 April last year. That was when there was chaos in the market. The lockdown just started. Tell us about that first day. Yeah, it's interesting. I made sure I joined the second and April's to avoid the, the first of April jokes, Ray. And <laughs> really, I mean, I started in the most sort of traumatic times in terms of the lockdown and the COVID crisis. And as you know, the SAGDP dropping by close to 17% in the second quarter and markets having a complete meltdown globally and locally. So that was really a baptism of fire, having to sort of get to grips with, I would say, a crisis which was, if you look back in terms of job losses and the way the markets reacted, probably more severe than even the global financial crisis, which is almost hard to believe, and triggered by something which was very difficult to really understand and get get our hands around. I mean, not that we currently sort of know whether we're completely out of the woods, but hopefully that the, the vaccine works. So it's been really a baptism of fire and the team and what we do have had to sort of prove their mettle. And sometimes I feel that that's where you sort of realize and look around you what people are made of in the difficult times rather than, than the easy times, as they say, in a, in a bull market where Tur- even turkeys can fly. Yeah, absolutely. And as a new broom, you're standing there and people are looking up to you to say, listen, how do we handle this crisis? Did you try and change a few things from the 2nd of April? At the point in time when when you look at markets in, in such a crisis, the key is always to try to keep a level head and to try to focus on sustainable investments. Obviously, looking back, we've had a sharp V recovery that we would look at. But our philosophy is to build quality portfolios and deliver consistent returns. And for me, the number one rule in markets is not to lose our clients' capital. That's the first thing. And to build resilient portfolios. So what I I had was a live experiment, a live scenario of how anti-fragile our portfolios were. And that exposed some of the cracks and in a way, as a new CIO, that also allowed for a relook at investment processes, a relook at within the investment team who would be doing what, a reshuffle of responsibilities, and really a firm base that we rebuilt in last year. And, and I feel very confident going into the new year. And I guess with the economy also into repair and markets on a firmer footing, one has to be now a lot more careful, I would say, because we've had that massive relief rally, but now the real test in terms of sustainability comes into play. If you look back with the benefit of 2020 hindsight, what we've seen over the past year, or at least from March last year, has been actually unbelievable. We've seen market sentiment drop to lows, recover very quickly to highs. 
And as we are speaking, many international markets, including our own market, are very close to all-time highs again. And there's really a lot of volatility, a lot of unpredictability. And it seems as if assets are being valued, not by traditional profit-driven measures, but by sentiment and expectations. It can't be easy to run a fund or a a portfolio of funds in in such an environment. Yeah, you're absolutely right. There's been a disconnect with fundamentals and definitely a disconnect in terms of what markets are discounting versus what global economies are facing. I think the first big theme is the fact that it's almost that globally indebtedness doesn't matter. We've had developed market debt levels increase from close to the 100% mark to now 140% as everyone has stimulated. Emerging markets, no different from 40 to 60. And in our case, even worse, we've gone from 30, 35% debt to GDP to now hitting the 80%. So markets have shrugged that off. And and if you read all the literature As you know, fiscal drag is real and should be a concern, but I think everyone's been focused on monetary policy and what the impact of the stimulus and let's call it free money will be. In the developed world, what's interesting is the interest rate burden, despite this ballooning debt burden, has declined. So it's it's costing nothing to take debt, and you've seen many of these phenomenon manifesting itself in markets, the most interesting one being how retail investors in retail online brokerages seem to be dictating markets and even trumping the so-called smart money or institutional money. You look at the whole, whether it's the Bitcoin phenomenon or the GameStop phenomenon more recently, it's been driven by what we call the Robinhood effect, the free online brokerages with a lot of newcomers who've opened accounts and traded. And I can tell you from the stats we look at, is that's been true internationally, but also locally. We've seen massive pickup in terms of interest of various retail investors in getting into the market during the lockdown. Maybe it's a question of people having more times on their hand or enforced savings because consumption was curtailed. But that's been a, a phenomenon driving the markets. And there's, on Wall Street, there's a war right now between the professionals in the hedge funds and the guys on the investment blogs. I can understand that in the U.S. market, a new venture like Robinhood could make a difference because it just brought millions of new investors to the market. But in South Africa, that is not the case. Our retail segment of the investment market is actually very, very small. Are you saying that you actually saw an above average increase in the number of retail traders? Do you think these investors had an influence on the market? Well, we've definitely seen this through the FNB trading platform, which has benefited from that. So it might not be at the volume levels that we've seen in the U.S., for instance, which have definitely been market moving. And there's there's an element there, rate of collusion, which obviously where you can corner certain markets. But there's definitely been an interest even here from retail investors. How would that move the market, though? Internationally, you're referring to or or locally? Locally. So locally, if you look at the small and mid-cap space, a lot of the stocks are very liquid and have been neglected by the institutional market. So when you have a situation where a wall of money comes at it, and you would have seen that in the second half of the year, the best performing sectors, surprisingly enough, 
in South Africa has been the small cap and mid caps, not the large caps. And there you have a few select stocks which have which have driven the market. And what's also quite interesting in many cases, and this is again these trends that we see reflected in which have been happening internationally reflected here, the more beaten down stocks which have got the most problematic balance sheets are the ones which are running the hardest. So so talk for instance, look at the reversal in the performance of the property, listed property mm. sector, which was, I think it, it's still ended down last year at 30%, but you've had this 25% rally in the last quarter. And this was led by a lot of the beaten up stocks, which have got, which are into balance sheet repair. And these have done, in some cases, 100% plus. Patrice, let's talk about fixed income. It's one of the speciality areas of Ashburton. And there are many people who are dependent on fixed income products. And with the current interest rates at virtually all-time lows, it does pose problems for many people who live on interest. What have you seen from your fixed income and money market funds? What were the average yields and, and what should these investors or these pensioners look at to as a realistic expectation of returns? Yeah, Rick, this is an excellent question. And it's, it's, I would say, by far the biggest topic of debate that we're currently dealing with in terms of how does one deal with yields at 50-year lows and the fact that traditional sources of income are now, I would say, problematic in, in broad terms in the sense of a lot of investors have been overweight, for instance, the property sector, which have yielded very good real returns. And now, basically, they suffered on paper quite a big capital loss. And the fact that dividend payments are uncertain as some of the companies skip dividends. So I think let's, let's step back first and look at the type of returns that we've seen over the last five years and where we're seeing returns now. So if you look on a risk-adjusted basis, I think over the last five years, being in income funds, and earning 7 to 8% per annum was definitely the right place to be if you compare that to your more multi-asset high equity funds where you got 3 to 4% per annum over the past five years. So it was, it was actually a great place to be to be in these, these income funds. The problem now is where we're sitting, looking at expected returns, I do not think that income funds, if I listen to my head of fixed income, Albert Bota, I don't think you should expect much more than, I would say, a range of 5 to 6%. So just, just above inflation, not very attractive. If you can have a, a bit of a longer term point of view, I think bonds are quite uh, attractive in terms of the yields. But obviously, we just touched earlier in our conversation about the fiscal situation. I think that comes with a lot of risk. The space which we think is very interesting going forward, if one looks at some capital protection with decent yields, is the low equity multi-asset space. There, I think that one can expect double-digit expected returns with almost very little capital at risk. So we think going forward, that would be the growth area for investors. And interestingly enough, when we look at the ASISA numbers, for the first time in four or five years, we're starting to see positive net flows in that area of the market, whereas equities and, and balance still bleeding. 
in which asset classes do you then expect a an above average return? So you have the certainty of of the very good real return from bonds. So I think cash, the cash category, as I mentioned, mm. you know, like your cash funds will give you three to four bonds. You'll get eight to nine percent, and then we've with a type of low equity multi-asset, which is anchored by the fixed income and, and looks like the whole spectrum of, of assets, I think it's, it's the best risk return trade-off. But are you seeing that trend in your portfolios? Are you seeing money flowing from your income funds to your multi-asset funds? Unfortunately, Rick, no. This is the problem. I think the money is still very risk-averse, despite the very strong rebound in the markets both equity and bonds in the second half of the year. The flows are still in the cash funds, in the money market and income funds, not quite going up the risk curve yet. Unfortunately, the issue that investors tend to be a little bit late to the party, and this is why we're trying to message that at this point in time, being in cash funds will not give you the, the requisite return to beat inflation long term. And Investors need to start looking forward rather than looking at these eye-watering returns from the last five years. We need to sort of almost take a a rain check and look forward and and acknowledge the fact that cash rates are at 50-year lows and that that's not going to help in terms of beating inflation. It's also interesting in the context of equity markets being close to all-time highs. There's a massive risk averseness despite equities performing excellently. Is that an anomaly? Yeah, the equity market behavior is quite interesting. The rally has initially been very narrow. So the the key question remains the cyclical space. So resources stocks have performed excellent. But now again, I think one needs to stand back a little bit and not look at short term, but looking at the at the longer term performance. So over the last year, yes, it's been a, the big drivers of performance have been the very attractive 20% returns from global equities and, and, and resources stocks, whereas property and financial, anything asset inc have been let, left behind. But they, we're seeing a, a reversal already in the second half of the year and, and many Many people might not realize that, but the the best performing area has been financial in the second half of the year, even beating resources. So we've seen a bit of a reversal, whereas locally or globally value is coming back in favor. So I would say at this point in time, while while cyclicals are still in favor, I think, again, I wouldn't be getting into areas which have been, I, I think, just continuing the momentum and the trend of last year is not wise. I think commodity prices are at highs. And yes, the Chinese economy has done well, but it's starting to overheat. You can see the Chinese central bank is starting to hike rates, which goes a, a little bit against the trend. And I'll be very careful looking at the second half of the year to be overly extended in, for instance, cyclical stocks. We'll have to leave it there. Patrice, thank you so much for your time today. That was Patrice Rousseau, the Chief Investment Officer of Ashburton Investments.